Uh, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. Uh, Exodus 5, if you're using a pew, Bible, chair, Bible, rack in the chair underneath you, Bible, uh, it's on page 48. Exodus chapter 5, as we uh, continue this series uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, this morning, we will uh, look at really verses 1 through 21. Um, this is God's holy word. Let me ask if you're able to please stand as we read God's word together. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, uh, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task, task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, uh, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord... Stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would uh, speak to us by your word, that you would teach us, grow us, 
Use this, your word, to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. Strengthen our faith. Grant us grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So this, uh, I'm not, I guess I should start with, I'm really, the idea of, of boxing, the idea of MMA, like, that is lost on me. The whole notion of two guys, two people getting inside of a ring and just beating each other up for 10 or 15, 20, 30 minutes. It, it, I just don't see the... I don't, I don't get it. I would never want to do it, perhaps for obvious reasons. Um, I don't care to watch it. The fact that, that they can charge as much as they do for pay-per-view to watch two dudes fight, I don't get it. Uh, that said, I have actually been to one boxing match. Uh, one time in high school, my dad took my brother and me to the Township Auditorium in Columbia, South Carolina to see, and we don't remember. I've always said it was a Vander Holyfield because it was sort of fresh off of the Olympics. Of course, he might have been cheated out of a gold medal, if you recall. There was some controversy behind his bronze medal in the 84 Olympics. My, my brother and I were talking the other day. I, I talked to both of them trying to figure out exactly who he went to see. And my brother's like, well, well, Mark Breland, a gold medalist, fought at the township in 1987. Maybe it was that. But the problem is Breland's um, uh, fight went 11 rounds. He actually ended up losing because he'd never been beyond 10 rounds before. So getting into the 11th round, he didn't. Okay, that's a side. That has nothing to do with anything. That's your own little historical information. And the one thing my brother and I could remember um, about going to this fight was that at the end, as one fight ended, the next fight was, you know, this is how they do This is how they get you, right? You come see this person fight and, and, you know, five boxing matches later, he's finally in the ring, right? That's, that's how they get you, Um well, one fight ended, and, and the next fight was going to be the headliner, the guy we came to see. Again, I, if I say Holyfield, it's because that's what's in my head. We, we can't confirm that. Um, the guy sitting in the row in front of us got up, presumably to go to the restroom. He missed the whole fight. It lasted half a round. And, and, and that's my memory. And I was talking to my brother the other day and he was like, okay, I do remember it was short. I do remember thinking it didn't go 11 rounds. That's why we eliminated. So this guy got up and left and he missed the entire headliner fight of that night. Here's why I tell you that story. The guy that fought Holyfield, humor me. Um, got into a fight he didn't know he didn't want. He stepped into the ring. He signed up to fight a battle that he ultimately realized, I've made a mistake. This is not the fight I really actually want. That's Pharaoh in Exodus 5. In Exodus chapter 5, 
Pharaoh steps into the ring to take on a battle, to take on a fight, he's going to realize pretty quickly, I'm in over my head. This is not the fight that I actually wanted. And yet, he does so willingly and arrogantly. Moses and Aaron walk into Pharaoh's office in verse 1. And they demand, and, and they literally demand, Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, let my people go. Ah, the, the confidence of Moses and Aaron walking into Pharaoh's office that day. And yet, there are already two problems. It's because I want you to look back. You should be able to just turn one page back to chapter 3 for just a second. I need you to see Exodus 3 verse 18 before we finish the rest of verse 1. Here's what Exodus 3 verse 18 says. And they will listen. This is God speaking from the bush to Moses. And they will listen uh, to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us go three days. Did you notice what's missing in verse one? According to Exodus five, one, it's just Moses and it's just Aaron. There are no elders of Israel. Now, I don't want to make a whole lot out of something the Bible doesn't really make tons about, but you have to at least acknowledge there's a glaring omission in verse 1 of chapter 5. They've Moses has received a, a clearly given command from God and apparently that clearly given command from God went ignored. Whether it was on Moses' part or Aaron's part or the elders' part, again, I don't want to make more than, than is there, but somebody somewhere decided to set aside a clearly given command of God. And then notice what they say back in chapter 5, verse 1. Thus says the Lord. There's the Lord in all caps, right? Here's my, here's my weekly reminder that all caps Lord in your English Bible is the English translator's way of telling you that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's the covenant-making, covenant name of God that, that God gave to Moses back in chapter 3. Thus says Yahweh the God of Israel. And, and that phrase, thus says Yahweh, is a phrase that, that demands a direct quote. It's a phrase that, is, that, that bears with it what I'm about to say. Though I am Moses, though I am merely a man, though I am a sinner, and, and, and a fallen man, what I'm about to say carries all the weight as if God's voice itself spoke in your ear. That's what that phrase, thus says the Lord, means. And what the prophet, and, and you, you get this in the prophets, um, 
He's intended to say exactly what God said to him. He doesn't interpret. He doesn't translate. He doesn't rearrange. He's intended, he's supposed to say exactly what God says to him. Look, just to give you an idea, that phrase shows up 150 times in Jeremiah. 126 in Ezekiel. It shows up 20 times in 2 Kings, which is a mostly historical narrative, but that's Elijah and Elisha. The point is that when Moses and Aaron walk into Pharaoh's office and they begin whatever they're about to say, when they begin with, thus says Yahweh, they're supposed to say exactly what God said told them to say. They're supposed to repeat his words verbatim to the audience. But did they? Look back at chapter 3, verse 18 again. Because is chapter 5, verse 1, a direct quote of verse 18 from chapter 3? You shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, and here's the quote, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now that's what he says in verse 3. Chapter 5, I mean, yeah, chapter 5, verse 3, but it's not what he says in verse 1. He seemed to tone it down. It's a feast, not a sacrifice. In all likelihood, a feast would involve a sacrifice, but he hasn't gotten, he hasn't been precise in his language. He hasn't been precise in quoting God's word back to him, back, or quoting God's word, God's message to the audience. I get it. This this doesn't probably rise to the level of Genesis 3, did God really say? But think of the problems you and I have when we sort of, kind of get an idea of kind of like God said, sort of something kind of like this, and this is close enough. There's all sorts of heresy that, that starts with God said something really, really close to this. The, the danger we cause, the, the problems we cause when we almost get God's clearly given commands right. The reality is almost right is wrong when it comes to understanding God's word. Moses and Aaron have boldly, confidently walked into Pharaoh's office, announced, thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord. And that's when Pharaoh gets in the ring. He decides, I can fight this fight. I can take this fight and in reality, I'm pretty sure I'm going to win. Look at his response in verse 2. Who is Yahweh? Thus says Yahweh. Who's that? I mean, who is he that I should obey his voice and, 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 and let him go? I, I don't know Yahweh. Okay, maybe he means 
literally, I don't know, what is this name? I, I don't hear, like I haven't heard the Israelites these, you know, since I've been in power or since I've been growing up here in Egypt and, you know, the Hebrews have been our slaves. I haven't heard anybody talk about this Yahweh verse. I have no idea who that, it could mean that he literally doesn't know the way we would say, well, I really don't know the square root of 97. I bet it doesn't have one. I'm just messed myself up. I'm going to, that's going to drive me nuts. It could mean something as simple as that, but I don't think that's what he means. Because you think about all the times in the Bible that knowing something means a whole lot more than acknowledging or an awareness of the answer or knowing that such and such a thing exists. I mean, I know that 97 has a square root, whatever weird number it might be. It probably doesn't. It's probably a prime. Did I, any, humor me, right? Because he says, who is that that I should obey him? Who is that that I should listen to what he says? And just listen to the punches that he throws in verse 2. I mean, there's this, it's this one, two, it's actually a one, two, three sort of combination of punches that he throws. First of all, who is this? I don't know him, which really is a sign of arrogance. I, I don't, I don't acknowledge this Yahweh. I don't acknowledge this God. I don't know who he is. And by that, I mean, I don't have an intimate understanding, an intimate relationship, an intimate knowledge. I'm going to grant him absolutely nothing. He's not simply saying I've never heard of him. He's saying I have no reason whatsoever to grant him any authority. I will not acknowledge him. Besides, here's the second punch. Pharaoh is actually considered a god in Egypt. Which means that if he acknowledges Yahweh, he has to admit he's no better than second place in Egypt. He can't grant that authority. If I do what this God tells me to do, then I'm admitting right up front, he is better, he is stronger, he has more authority than I do. Not going to happen. Or for that matter, Egypt, it's polytheistic. They have gods everywhere. The sun god and the moon god and the Nile River and Pharaoh and all these sorts of gods everywhere you look. And they're happy, really in many ways, they're happy for people to have their gods and, and, and that sort of thing. The problem is, Egypt has all the power. If this Yahweh really is so great, Israel, you wouldn't be slaves. If this Yahweh really is more powerful than I am, if he really is greater than I am, then why exactly have you spent... 400 years as slaves in a foreign country. See, we do this, right? We look at our circumstances and they make us go, well, maybe this God I believe in really isn't all that powerful after all. 
I mean, if, if God was really in control, if He really did um, foreordain whatsoever comes to pass, then maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sick. Maybe I wouldn't have cancer. Maybe I wouldn't have a, 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 a difficult neighbor to deal with. Maybe I wouldn't, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have... If this God really is who the Bible says He is... How can my circumstances be true? Pharaoh is playing that card at the Israelites. You're my slaves. And he hasn't freed you yet. Your God really isn't all that much. In the back of my head is that scene from one of the Avengers movies. They're all the same. I don't. Sorry. don't want to step on any toes. Um. When the Hulk and Loki are, are going back and forth and, and the Hulk shows up and he's about to beat up Loki and I think it's kind of near the end of the movie and, and, and Loki's crying, but I'm a god. And the Hulk grabs him like by the ankle and beats him into the ground repeatedly. I mean, there's like dents in the ground that shape like Loki's body and he leaves him there and Loki's just lying there being sort of sunken into this concrete floor, whimpering. And the Hulk says, puny God. Pharaoh thinks he's the Hulk. Pharaoh thinks he can grab Yahweh by the ankles and smash him into the ground and walk away and say, puny God. That's what he's saying in verse 2. He's literally looking at Moses and Aaron and going, your God is puny. He's nothing at all. You're Moses for a second. If we can, can you can you role play in Presbyterian sermons? Um, pretend you're Moses for a second. What's your reaction? You, you have to put yourself in his shoes for just a second. I mean, right? Because in that moment, at that very moment, right, let's see. I was in the wilderness. There was this bush. God was in that bush. He called me. He commissioned me. He told me to go to Egypt. He told me to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I'm in. And he says, no. I, like you literally are sort of rehearsing, rehearsing the last however many weeks, months, years in your head. He said, and I'm here, he's saying no, but he told me to, right? In that moment, Mo Moses has to be the most dejected, the most confused, the most heartbroken man on the earth. Now, granted, God told him it was going to take work, right? We, we, we mentioned this before. God told him from the bush, this isn't going to be... Pharaoh's not going to go down in the first round, right? We know that already. We know that this isn't the fight I saw at the township auditorium that in, was over within the first round. We know that Pharaoh's not going to go down that easily. And yet, how often do we scratch our heads 
and wonder why. This has implications for us as a church, right? I mean, every, the mission of every church in the world is given to us in Matthew 28. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. We're to gather and perfect the saints, reach and equip the lost. That's the clearly given command to the church by Jesus to his people. Then why is it that when we evangelize, why doesn't every single person immediately fall to their knees and weep and repent and believe the gospel? Like, if that's the mission of the church, why doesn't it always work? Like, that's our mindset. That's our mentality, right? That's, that's where Moses is in this moment. In fact, he resorts, verse 3, to pretty please. He even tried the magic word. He used please that time. And it didn't help. We're, we're called to gather and perfect the saints. We have a clearly given command by Christ to his people, to the church, to make disciples. And yet nowhere are we told that everyone that hears the gospel will believe it the moment they hear it. Things don't always work out the way we want them to or... Expect them to. You could argue that verse 2 is really Pharaoh jumping in the ring and throwing a punch at the head, right? It's a, it's a couple of blows. It's a right. It's a left at the head. Because from verses 4 to like 18, you get this whole series of now body blows. Now he's throwing punches at the ribs. He's throwing punches at the body. Verse 4, get back to work. Verse 5, I can't afford to lose production time. You, Moses, are making all these Israelites stop working and, and I can't afford this. Time is money and, and they're not out there working and so you have to quit talking. Get back to work. Verse 8, verse 17, you're just lazy. All you really want is a Memorial Day weekend with a, with a long weekend, an extra holiday, right? That's really all you're trying to accomplish. You're just lazy. You don't want to work. And so that very day, Pharaoh says, you know what? If you're really that, if you've got that much spare time on your hands, now the straw that we used to provide for you, you have to go and find yourself. Not only are you not leaving, not only are they still making bricks, but now they have to gather the straw for the bricks themselves. That which Egypt used to give them, they now have to do them themselves. They find themselves. And the daily brick quota doesn't change. Pharaoh is heaping burden on top of a burden to God's people. He's making their suffering greater. And that's the whole rest of the chapter is... This back and forth about Pharaoh's authority. He had, had taken a, a punch or two at the head. Now he's taking some punches at the body. In fact, in verse 10, notice the language of the taskmasters in the form in, in verse 10. Thus says Pharaoh. Pharaoh's word 
seems in this moment more powerful, more authoritative than God's word. Pharaoh's command in this moment seems to carry more weight than God's. But that, we hear that, right? Aren't there times in our lives when, when the voices of God's opponents seem to be louder? They seem to be stronger. They seem to have more authority. They seem to have more influence on your life. That's Moses' situation. The, the voice of God's opponent is louder and more powerful than the voice of God. Sometimes it seems that the word of those who hate God is stronger than even God's word. You do realize, just, just to make sure this is clear, both in the room and on the recording, you do realize this was never a fair fight, right? I mean, you do realize that, that God doesn't step into the ring with an equal uh, opponent, an equally powerful, an equally authoritative opponent, and you, you just let them battle it out and you're not really sure who's going to win. That's never true. That's never the case. Don't ever think that, well, there's these two forces out there, God and the devil, and, and they're equal and they fight and you just hope the good outweighs. That's not the case at all. In fact, this, this has a little bit, if I can oversimplify, and if I can work the Princess Bride into a sermon. <laughs> the, the battle between Fezzik and the man in black. The man in black's fighting and he actually seems to be doing, Fezzik's not really doing much. And Fezzik says, I just want you to feel you are doing well. You almost sort of have this sense. I mean, God could certainly, he, he created everything in seven days. He could take out Pharaoh in half of a half of a half of a second. And yet he allows Pharaoh to even throw some punches at all. Don't think that the powers of darkness are equal with the powers of Yahweh and the two are battling it out and you're just crossing your fingers hoping for the right one to win. Yes, there are times when it seems that the powers of darkness have the advantage. Yes, there are times when it seems that the voices of those who oppose God and his people are louder and stronger and more authoritative. But that does not mean God is absent. Don't let those voices tell you that God is weak, that your God is a puny God. Because the thing is, you know how this fight ends. Now, it's going to take a while. I mean, it's not happening in the first round. In fact, we know there's, there's 10 rounds coming, right? We know how this fight ends and how this fight ends is intended to encourage you today. You see, the reality is, if I could encourage your study of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Last week was questions 20, question 23, what offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? Question 25 was the office of priest because that was the context. Question 26, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, 
and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Did you catch that? His enemies are your enemies. Your enemies are his enemies. The enemies of God's people are God's enemies. That's going on in Exodus 5. Pharaoh is throwing punches at the body of Christ as it were. You can't hit the body without getting the head involved. That's the battle. That's the conflict. That's what's going on in Exodus chapter 5. And Pharaoh is about to learn that lesson in a huge way. When your enemies and God's enemies start throwing punches and when those punches land and your ribs hurt, your head hurts, your face is bloody and bleeding, what do you do? Where do you go? Where will you turn? When there's struggle, when there's oppression, when there's difficulty, when the voices of, of God's opponents seem louder and stronger, more authoritative than God's, where do you go? Because look at verse 15. The foreman of the people of Israel cried, came and cried out to Pharaoh. Let me make something clear. The taskmasters are Egyptian. The foremen are Israelites. The foreman turned first to Pharaoh. The, the leader, the leader of the opponents of God, they appealed first to Pharaoh. And they hoped that they would, I don't know, appeal to his kindness, find his soft spot. Obviously, there isn't one. Their conviction is that Pharaoh really is holding all the cards. He really does have all the power. So we have to appeal to him. When that didn't work, they turned their attention on Moses and Aaron, verse 20. You know what, Moses? It's your fault. They turned on their leaders. It's your fault that we are now a stench in the nostrils of Pharaoh and Egypt. It's your, I blame you for bringing this oppression on us. Look what you've done. Look what you have caused. Where will you turn? Will you appeal to those who actually seek the destruction of God's kingdom? Will you, will you actually cry out against the leaders that God has placed over you? Or will you turn to God himself? I know technically we didn't read verse 22. But look at verse 22. Moses turned to Yahweh. And poured out his heart. Where will you turn? To whom will you turn? Will you cry out to God? Will you turn to Yahweh? And, and literally, why have you done this? Will you literally ask the question, where are you? Why have you done this? You have the right to pour out your heart. And to ask the difficult questions to God, He wants them. Read the Psalms. They come up over and over and over 
again. Moses turned to Yahweh and he laid his soul bare before him. Yeah, there are times when it seems like the darkness is winning. Yeah, there are times when it seems like the people in power um, are the people who mock God at every turn, who mock Christians and are dead set on destroying the kingdom of God and may very well be dead set on killing you. That's not true where we live, at least not right now. But look around the globe. There are people dying simply because they claim the name of Christ. But know this, that as Christians, your enemies are God's enemies. And he fights for you. He has fought the battle for you. And remember this. You already know, know who wins. I don't mean you know who wins the battle between, between Yahweh and Pharaoh. I don't mean that you know that the Israelites are going to get out of Egypt and end up in the promised land. I mean you know who wins. That's the book of Revelation. The whole point of Revelation is to remind us all over again, Jesus wins. Jesus has already defeated Satan. He's already defeated his minions. One little word shall fell him. Lo, his doom is sure. You know who wins. You know, not by a TKO, not even by knockout, by death. Christ defeats Satan and sin. You know when the last bell rings who's lying on that mat without a breath in their lungs. May the victory of Jesus encourage us as we face oppression and struggle and difficulty. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you do rule and reign over all of your creation. You are sovereign over all things. You have foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And we thank you that you fight for your people. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness to, to quite honestly, get knocked down for the sole purpose of defeating your enemy and our enemy. Would you... Would you grow our faith? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you grant us the grace to face the world that sometimes seems to be winning, that sometimes seems to have louder and more authoritative voices, that sometimes seems the kingdom of Christ is going to lose after all? Would you remind us you've already won? And may it be well with our soul. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.